The government controls what we eat. They control what we think. They control what we feel. And then we wake up one day and be like, damn, I got But isn't that American dream of, that American dream is? Because there's more people that live that type of fucking American reality. But isn't that American dream of, that American dream is? Because there's more people that live that type of fucking American reality. But isn't that American dream of, that American dream is? Because there's more people that live that type of fucking American reality. Nah, my food time, hold it up and smoke it. Transgression of progression of a war we ain't asked for. Transgression of progression of a war we ain't asked for. It's madness, yo. All the things that we could talk about. Call it. But let's talk about these urban circumstances real quick. And basically, it's the. And, um. We got this. So. Revolution. Muhammad is the fame's name, forever stand. Standing on royal, fusing of justice for the few, ridiculed by the pale terrorists, bent on genocidal obsession, rooted in fear of neglection and abandonment, fueled by nightmares of ancestors. I still want to be able to, to, I don't dislike George Washington. The kind I don't of friends dislike I think our friends should be like my friends. My friends are the kind of friends I think everyone needs. My friends see the things at times I don't see. My friends hate the police. Child trying to see you. You gonna look? You gonna pick up that book? Lord, keep me far from the space. Guide me through night and day. Teach me your ways. Show me the righteous way to sway. Lord, can you teach me, please? Show me the way. I'd say. Conservative with Chaz Neal. We're excited to have you join us on this journey of thoughtful discourse and community engagement. Durban Conservative is proudly sponsored by the Leon Block Network, an organization committed to promoting transparency, truth, and accountability in our media landscape. Here at Durban Conservative, our mission remains steadfast to bring you the latest news directly from the streets, addressing critical topics such as gun violence, crime, politics, and perhaps most importantly, exploring solutions to the profound challenges our communities face. As we embark on this third season, the focus is clear. It's time to actively contribute to the transformation of our communities for the better. How can we achieve this? The answer lies in a multifaceted approach that starts with reconnecting with our core family values, strengthening our sense of community is paramount, fostering bonds that transcend the barriers that often divide us. Moreover, it involves embracing our foundational roots, recognizing the historical and cultural threads that weave through the fabric of our society. So join us on this journey as we explore not only the challenges, but also the opportunities for growth and progress. Together, let's turn our shared vision for stronger, safer, and more connected communities <clears throat> into a reality. Thank you for being a part of the Urban Conservative with Chaz Neal, a platform dedicated to fostering change and making a positive impact on the world around us. Shut up and help. Um, this morning, I, I, what I wanted to talk about, uh, staying in with you know Minnesota and staying in with Minneapolis and staying in with the you know the things that are 
going on in our community and things that are happening. Um, and, you know, tomorrow is February 1st, uh, Black History Month. And as well, uh, we are 13 days away from the opening of the 2024 Minnesota legislative session, um, which there's a lot of things that are going to be coming up. So I wanted to decode a couple of these things that are in um, a couple of bills, uh, legislation that is uh, going to be debated, going to be talked about. Uh, and I think people need to pay attention. I, I don't think I know people should pay attention for the simple fact of that there is this legislative session is going to be a, a tricky one because um, there's going to be a lot of things. And if we don't stay focused on bettering our communities, we're going to get left behind. Um, and I need people to pay attention because we're going through a time where we're about to hit a time that is going to be crucial. Um, and I need people to be open-minded, to be um, cautious of where you're getting. And, and if you're out here learning things, go research. Don't believe everything that you read, even when it comes to me and, and the things that I'm doing here on, on, on the Urban Conservative or even with uh, John Tell or even with anybody that you're watching uh, or you're trying to learn from because not that we're leaving out things. I just want people to see the, the both sides of it. So don't take just my word of it. Go and read or, or, or go and watch a documentary uh, and learn other facets of things that happened in history. Just don't take it from me. Don't take it from just Robert, but know that the things that we're talking about, we have learned and we have educated ourselves about uh, and want other people to understand how the things play out that, um, you know, I was, <laughs> yesterday I was corrected by uh, by somebody I highly respect. And uh, she told me, she said, you know what? I, I love what you're doing, but you know what? You gotta stop saying that the system is broken because the system is designed to do exactly what the system was designed to do. It's not broken because you can fix something that's broken. But if something was designed to keep on doing the things that it's doing, you can't fix that. You got to rebuild that foundation. You got to start not saying you got to start all the way over, but you got to start building different pieces so that it it works properly. And that's where we're at right now. And that's what I want to get into. And Robert is here with me again today. Um, doesn't know much about the which I expected about the, the Black American Family Preservation Act, because a lot of people don't know what it is, uh, because that's not what it's called. It's called the African American Preservation Act. But see, I wanna get into it because they they pinpoint it and direct it towards Black Americans, but it's more towards BIPOC and POC. Um, I do yeah, have something also, to say real quick before yeah. we get too far into it. And that is, uh, I believe that the system is working exactly as designed is to get having that conversation. though, you have to get people to realize that the system isn't working. So coming at it from saying that the system is broken, you can get people finally to the point of, no, it is working exactly as designed. But a lot of times people can't grasp that initially. So it, it all depends on how you're you're approaching it with the audience um, and where we're at politically. In history, things go from left to right and stuff like that. We have the pendulum has moved so far to the left that when it goes back to the right, it will most likely go back pretty far to the right. And that is something to just keep in mind and be careful of when people are seeing the political stuff going on is that usually both sides are controlled opposition and uh, it'll swing probably far back to the right. And that's where I, I think people don't fully understand either when they when we talk about, you know, there's different type of Republicans because you got mega Republicans, you got Q9 Republicans, and then you got like the moderates. So 
literally where they're trying to go is i would say a mega which is really far right and and maybe not as far right as maybe people think um but it is definitely more than what we want as people and i and i know that there's a movement with niggas for trump and you know I, i'm not against that but if you're not going to change things locally going straight to the top isn't going to do shit because some of these areas that are out here and and, and putting their their support whoops their support behind trump you're not those areas haven't been red areas in a very long time so the way that in the way that they're doing it you're not educating people to get out and go vote what you're doing is fear-mongering and making people not want to go vote and that's where i feel like we're missing the main uh component here out of everything because i've been in different spaces from you know white people uh who are republicans uh black people who are republicans and even you know all the same rhetoric i hear all the same talk just differently and it's like really what's going to change because if we don't do anything locally doesn't matter if we do something at the top the power is locally with the people and the problem is that we always i shouldn't say always we have a human tendency to look for a savior type of figure from the outside the problem is is a lot of times that can be manipulated so before you get just hop behind somebody sort of get to know who they are and what's up because a lot of times they'll come along and say stuff just for an election and then you get what you get and they lied to you uh we can go ahead and get into the stuff you wanted to talk about yeah so i'm gonna play a a, a video real quick and this video is from october of last year this is an event that was in rochester minnesota and was held um by the cmah which is, which is the council for minnesotans of african heritage um and what was talked about during this meeting was uh what we're about to talk about is the african-american uh, family preservation act so as soon as it's about six minutes long um the first person you're going to hear is uh pastor uh andre crockett for the black community and the Hispanic community. It has nothing to do with it wasn't prepared for the people alone. It's that who's in charge of giving the money out that we have to look at. And so it's saying that, that if the person who's giving out the money don't have anybody that represents them, then we can't keep giving the money to, to um, those who practice systematic racism and expect that we're going to get a chance to even the playing field. So even though y'all do a great job there, but you keep giving money to the system that know that the system put up barriers and stuff, how, how do these people access to those money, right? Even on the business side, I see both sides. I see individuals with, who make millions get way more than a small non-for-profit non individual because they knew somebody who was giving out the money. So the time the money gets to the byproduct community, most of the money is already gone. Right? So we did quotas, we did that, and make it seem like they got a lot of money, they haven't got anything. So I would like for you all to say, okay, how do I hold them accountable? Y'all right there, you know the money is coming down and figuring out, did they even get the money, right? So it looked real good to give them a couple of dollars. It still never, it doesn't still go anywhere. So I would really like to say, okay, how do we make that accountable, accountability, at least from the state level, saying, I've got these policies, I've got this. Is it really worth it? And you hear you hear what they're saying right here, right? Our numbers is worse than like the 60s, right? We're in 2023. Some of our numbers is worse, right? And how how do we begin to move that that that, that down? Thank you. And that's a good point. And the, the council has been thinking about that. You know, coming from that of that era, there wasn't a lot of black people. There was like probably when my mom moved us here, there was like six, seven black families. And I look at it today, the same things that we have for the youth, they're not they're no longer here anymore. You know, we had the United Way, uh, 
the YMCA is, is, is closed even after the city gave money to fix the pool. And they just did that, what, nine years ago? And now it's already closed. Um, you know, there's things, you know, we have the, 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 the rack, but that's expensive. You know what I'm saying? Low-income families can't afford that. Um, and there's so many things uh, that were for the youth when we were we were younger that aren't here anymore. And it's like, I feel like we've gotten away from actually really caring about youth because I hear people, especially when it comes to state legislators and, and, and representatives, they always say that they care about the youth. I disagree. And, and the reason why I say I disagree is because as being somebody that has wrote legislation, proclamations of paying the racism of public health crisis, also uh, writing legislation and I can even have a license program uh, in Red Wing. And still to this day, uh, we have all these proclamations, we have all these things in place, but what actually changes? What actually changes? You know, um, I know you, you have to were part of a Minnesota Clean Safe Street. You know, that bill was for the whole state of Minnesota, but yet the money primarily went to Minneapolis, you know, which is a big problem. Um, I know education was brought up, you know, yeah, we're having a lot of literate people out here, but the crazy part of it is what people don't want to talk about is their high school graduates. How? If they can't read, how are you graduating high school? How? No child left behind. Uh, we, we talk about public safety. We talk about public safety. And all that, Pastor Crockett talked about that. All that money coming for public safety, even the, 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 the housing, $1 billion. How much has gone to housing since COVID? Let's talk, talk about those numbers first before we talk about the $1 billion because we can see so many problems that went wrong with the COVID money feeding our future. That's a big, that's what, almost a billion just gone missing. And, and yet there's no, there's no metric. Anything that comes out, you guys, we talk about education, we talk about public safety. We talk about numbers, but we never talk about metrics. What is a success and what is a failure? Because a lot of these programs out here that we're running are failures, but because there's no metrics to measure that success of what failure looks like, there's no, there's no measuring it. So again, um, when it comes to even just talking about equity, when it comes to the grant, I'm gonna take it a step further because there is avenues for people like Journey or new organizations to get money. But see, when it comes to minority populations, we don't understand fiscal sponsorship. We don't understand that as long as Big Brother reaches down and takes care of the Little Brother, we'll get them much further. But we don't have that in the Black community. And again, there's two reasons. We're uneducated, not un undereducated, and we have short attention spans because of the simple fact we like, we want everything fast. And that's, again, another reason of being undereducated. Um, and, and I hear that brother back here about the, the housing. Why are we keep on having the meetings where we're not? at all focused on the, the, the issues. Why are we having meetings in homeless encampments? Why are we having the meetings on the street where actual problems are? Why are we going to John Adams Middle School and having meetings so that, first of all, that these kids know that we care and that these teachers and these school administrations understand that we have to stand up as, as people, but we want to always look at the government or our state legislators for help instead of our own community. Everybody wants to go to take the village. Well, let's start acting like the village. <laughs> so, yeah, that you were in the room. You had um, Dwayne Bowe. You had uh, who is Duluth, I believe. Uh, Esther, who is a Minnesota legislator. She's black. You had Kim Hicks and I think it was Liz Olson from Rochester. And they were talking about, you know, going into this legislative session 
and uh, talking about the, you know, African-American um, Preservation Act. And what that would do is it would protect children and strengthen families, uh, reduce the overall cost of child welfare services and out-of-home placement, reduce law enforcement and judicial system costs for intervention, improve the mental health and social functioning of African-American children, improve the child protection departments. I don't even know what that word is. Uh, I guess I, by showing that it would help. Um, so this word right here, efficiency, I don't know, efficiency. Uh, yeah, but so is that why the does, one? This is no, so this is right here is a statement um, of why they needed to stop the archery removal of black children by Minnesota's. Th that was back under Governor Dayton, though. <laughs> is, oh, yeah, right. And, damn, I didn't even see that under the orders of Governor Dayton. Now, was Governor Dayton Republican or Democrat? Uh, he was a Democrat. Paul Enti was a Republican. I know what that was in response to, I believe. Yeah, there was uh, some issues with the child welfare system here in Minnesota, especially like I remember in Jordan, there was that uh, African-American foster kid or the black foster kid that got killed by the white supremacist, Betlock right. there in Jordan. Um, right. So, I mean, like, I, I remember there was big issues with that. You know, the... I just the thing that bothers me with it though is that you know they want to in one part of it you see African American and then you see the stop the archberry whatever removal of black children. To me that's different because when you say African American and then you're saying black to me you're saying two different groups of people. And they expanded it for the current legislation uh, compared to what they had originally had. Um, I can share the current legislation on the screen after you get done going through that one, if you want. Because there's interesting. Yeah, we'll do, too. Please do, because I do want to show a, a little bit of the different the differences of it, because I want to know why you have. Because if that's a Democratic policy that was written and now it's being changed by Democrats, it was, so what else was went wrong if they were seeing that, yeah. Uh, see clogging that are not, a, and see, I think that's the problem too, is they take so many kids from black, from black homes. And honestly, they, 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 pay these foster parents thousands and thousands of dollars and really honestly at the end of the day all that family needed was probably a little bit more financial help to do some things and, and if people, they oh, go ahead if people don't think that it's targeted remember when mary uh not mary sorry when amy klobuchar was running against cheryl ramstead voss in 1998 when they were doing their debate uh, Cheryl Ramstead Voss had to stop Klobuchar and be like, no, we can't just take these kids away from their parents and throw them into foster homes. That's illegal. The parents have rights too. <laughs> I mean, right. so that was Klobuchar's want. And she sort of did some of that with, uh, some of the truancy type stuff that they used. Okay. So rather than making the kids the school, like where the kids could learn and it was a safe environment where they'd want to be there. Uh, they right. didn't look at that that side of it. They wanted to just toss them into foster homes. Um, so that was purposely targeted starting in, what, late 90s, early 2000s for that. And the, the, the issue is, is that they go in and instead of providing the parents with proper supports or whatever, a lot of times they're just yanking these kids out there and placing them with people. The people that they're placing with them with in Minnesota, a lot of times don't have full background checks. And there was another incident there in Jordan, Minnesota, that I know of a foster family named by the last name of Hennon that for uh, 20 something years was molesting kids. Now, maybe they had mainly white kids, but I mean, 
you, you still you, you can't be placing children with molesters. You right. just can't be doing that. Right. And they ain't doing no background check. Or they did. Mm. Oh, damn. It just covered it up anyways. See, that's sick. If you know the history of Jordan, there's a reason why I'm saying that. Oh. Yeah, I don't know the, the history of Jordan. There's a song by a rapper called Big Black. Or from uh, That rapper's name is Big Black. And if you look up his song, Jordan, Minnesota, it says everything in there. It's from his oh, uh, Atomizer uh, album. I'll have to look that up. So this is the current bill, and it says a bill for an act relating to human services establishing Minnesota African American Family uh, Preservation Act, establishing the Ameri African American Child Welfare Council, uh, modifying child welfare positions, requiring reports, appropriating money, and then it goes into it. Okay. There's a couple pieces in here that are key. Um, so, and that is, who do they define as an African-American child, right? Because they're here to, it's to protect the best interest of the African-American children. Okay. Let's see if I can get it to scroll. There we go. Um, and one of the other key things in here is the African-American Welfare Oversight Council. Because who sits on that? That's key. Because that's who's going to be making the decisions. Okay. An African-American child, right here, it says, that definition is an, um, means a child having origins in Africa, including a child of two or more races who has at least one parent with origins in Africa. Okay, so that that's interesting um, because of that definition. You know what I mean? Um, if if it is it a white if a white person is from South Africa and their parents from South Africa, does they does that count? I mean, they're that, technically they're from Africa. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, definitions get real weird like that sometimes. Well, see, and that's what one thing that I that again that I like to talk about is people have to understand the definitions of words because they matter. You know what I'm saying? Because that's why they're able to do all this wordplay with the legislation when it comes to, let's say, prohibiting or like with the banning no knocks when they can throw exceptions in there and people don't even realize what they're doing. So the goal of this legislation and what they've been talking about for many years is trying to keep the kids in the community, in the home, if at all possible, or if they're going to place them, placing them with at least people that have the same type of background as them. So like you wouldn't take uh, a Ukrainian kid that can't speak English and, and put them in a home with, you know, uh, people from Minnetonka or whatever. You know what I mean? You try to keep them in the the same sort of thing, same sort of thing with like Somali kids. You'd want to keep them with kids that are, you know what I mean? And so, so, so okay, on and so forth. And, okay. Yep. And I'm going to break that down for you. Right. Because isn't there a law where native American kids that go through this stay with native Americans? They're not allowed to, uh, because I know people that have tried to, uh, adopt a native American child and can't because of their skin color. Yeah, and that goes back to when they were forcing them to uh, the kids to be placed against their will and trying to Americanize them. And that, that's the one thing America's gotten real bad at is uh, you have to do it the white Anglo-Saxon way. I mean, even when we go overseas for missionaries, we go to places and we're like, hey, you need to do it our way. Well, they don't have electricity and we're bringing them stuff that requires electricity. No, we should probably do it their way and make sure that the crap's usable for them. Uh, it just is something throughout history that we've done and our way isn't necessarily the best way looking at it and having been to multiple different countries, there's plenty of better ways to do it than what we do. Right. But I'm going to bring up something real quick here. So I went ahead and looked up what that, uh, African American child well being council thing unit. Okay. That's the oversight thing. Because it gets yeah. interesting because the chair from Hennepin County, according to this, 
Bottom. Oh, is that their one? On a second here. Oh, here's a committee. Yeah, Mike. Mike person. Mike Opat is the chair. Okay, so who is Mike Opat? Michael Opat is this guy. Yeah. Oh, one second. I didn't. Uh, there we go. Is this guy? He's in the chair. <laughs> How, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you have a white person as the chair over a, a African American family unit. And let's just That's go crazy. through these names, okay? The Judge David Piper, uh, Anne Anne McKeeg, Debbie Gottel. Uh, here, let me zoom this in real quick so you guys can see. I'll put the link down below. Okay. But so you have county attorneys, judges, all that stuff. Well, and part of that is needed if you're liaisoning with the criminal justice system to see how you can. I should say it'd be family, family court side of it uh, for this stuff. Right. But you will need a liaison a little bit to make sure that these practices do also align with the law of what you have to do. So I do understand some of that, but um, looking at these names, um, I'm, I'm wondering how many of these people are are not African-American. You, you know what I mean? Right. And here's a staff participation. Well, I know from experience of, you know, going to some of these meetings and going to some of these like post board, um, with like with police units, committees and shit like that. And seeing the people that are actually up there writing the things that are supposed to be make it better. And then you see it's even with, like with these human rights commissions, right? You be up there be like, damn. How are these people? supposed to be out here trying to make it better for everybody and they don't even understand what we're even talking about can't even feel what we're talking about and that was from 2018 i put the link down in the comments so you guys can uh can go look at that yourself you don't gotta take my word for it and then i'll also put the link to the bill uh as well in there that's one thing that i i i've always wondered of how they pass all this legislation about places and, and things that they never experienced or can never experience. And it's just like, it's make it make sense, people. When I was doing, oh, go ahead. When I was writing programs in the military, the, the best way to do it, okay, that makes the most sense is you go to the people, the end users who are actually going to be affected by whatever you're putting in place and you talk to them and you figure out how to do it the best and then you write it around that otherwise you're going to be putting in a lot of administrative crap that you don't need and it's going to make the entire thing not run correctly and it's not even going to get your goal done as far as the end result and they don't do that instead they they have all the well, you know, gatekeepers and stuff like that. Bobby Joe Champion's the one that wrote it. Who's he listening to? We already know that. You know, yeah. he's a lawyer for, you know what I mean? Um, and is he just trying yeah. to get them money or is it going to be actually effective? That's the other question. You know what I mean? And that's just based yeah. on our previous conversation. So you look at stuff right. like that. Is it is it just then these people getting appointed to these councils so that way they can say, oh, I sat on a diversity council so that way I can get promoted i care about diversity when they really don't because the system is really screwed up um with my wife used to do daycare and there there was a time when we were out in arizona where a mother came well high on a substance to pick up their their child and uh we had called we we were mandated reporters we had a call and we're like hey we can keep the child for longer, but like we were don't feel comfortable giving the child back being that she drove here like this. You know what I mean? And we got right. told, oh no, we had to release the child to somebody that was actively high on meth and not in the right mind. But then they'll go and take a child for the stupidest things like missing school or something small like that. Right. 
See, and that's what be tripping me out because they will. Well, I know back in the day when I was a you know a teenager in high school. Um, well, I shouldn't even say it was even before then because they are. I'll say right now, Minnesota's system is so janky that they'll literally just put paperwork in front of mothers and tell them that I'll just sign this paper and we're going to help your child. And the whole time they're signing away their rights and don't even know it. And I don't know how many times or how many stories I've heard from Hennepin County uh, like that. Uh, and that's why I'm glad a lot of these places are, well, I can't say that because, but yeah, I wish they would just get out the corruption so what i got on the board right now that you're seeing is minnesota's constitution references slavery but voters may have the chance to hit delete that's what we're going to talk about in this second half is is slavery in minnesota possible the ratification of the 13th amendment to the u.s constitution in 1865 abolishing slavery outlawed it everywhere in the country however since 1858, Article 1, Section 2 of the Minnesota Constitution has read, there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the state otherwise than as a punishment for a crime of which the party has been convicted. Um, hmm. So it's been proposed to ask voters and well, it didn't go through, and that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today, is that they wanted to ask voters in general election whether to amend the state's constitution to delete references to slavery and involuntary servitude as being possible punishments for a crime. Um, it is our state's value, our state values document removing the last of slavery from the Minnesota Constitution is a moral imperative. Now, what there's a part to this that I think people don't fully understand, and it has to deal with mass incarceration. Um, you know, the the, the prison co industrial complex, right? And I, there's another word for it. I think it's called NPIC. The forget what the N stands for. Um, Damn it. But anyway, somebody will put it on there. I'm probably John Taylor. Um, but that's why you see literally of why you, when I look at this legislation and I looked at it because last year it had bipartisan support to get it all, to get it to the ballot, right? So that people could vote for it. Um, and I do believe that it's something that our great state that people would believe in and get it off our constitution because the way that I see it, even from comments that people really agree with getting it off our constitution more than I see people uh, talking about assisted physician suicide. Uh, so when I started to look through last session and I seen Republicans like Paul Novotny and Walter Hudson who thought this would be a good move for the state, but yet the people that are supposed to be fighting for us are the ones that slowed it down, that stalled it, right? Bobby Champion um, and Melissa Hortman. Now, people aren't going to believe me, but this is all factual. All you have to do is go back and look at last year's session and you will see why it was stalled and then if you're in her district email her call her melissa hortman and ask her why she didn't want to bring it to the floor for debate or vote whatever they want to call it i think it's a debate because then they vote why if this is such a serious thing because they were doing all these other things putting tampons in boys' bathrooms, not saying that I disagree with it, but I'm just saying you guys are doing all these other things instead of really trying to make life better. Because do you understand of how many potentially 
innocent people not saying because i really i've been really i guess it can and it can't to a degree uh exonerate not exactly exonerate people but get people out but it is an, another avenue of getting people out because at the end of the day you one of the reasons of mass incarceration is for labor you have so many innocent people in prison working for 25 cents an hour 50 cents an hour and that's been going on for quite a while hbf was one of the people that got into that first with the engineering of the of the prisons in that and uh there may i believe is robert keith gray the guy that we had talked about from bcci from minnesota he's right. the guy that actually offered his services to them on behalf of the industry uh to get that kicked off right around the 80s is the late 70s and people got to realize that that same group was also running iran contra so they were bringing in the drugs then they got the legislation for max sentences for the drugs that only low-income people do because that powder stuff that the lawyers and doctors do that was still you know lesser sentence for that stuff uh so they'd set it up like that and a lot of these people that were caught on low-level drug crimes are still in the system because that hasn't changed when that was an entire racket and if people have watched the movie like shawshank redemption that stuff still happens and there's a way to do it where these guys are actually getting paid a decent wage where they are contributing back to their own services in the prison there's a way to do that and there's things on the books for them to have more like, like as they're getting closer to getting out that for them to actually have a job and be able to, to to do that as they're preparing to get out but then they also contribute those some funds back to their living and stuff like that so that whole thing can be done better and instead of paying these guys 25 cents an hour for for basically slave labor and a lot of these industries were in bed at one time with the military industrial complex and that's what the labor was used for right and and see that's the thing of it is because i'll tell you right now as somebody that has been in prison themselves me um and working for different i'll say like this because i've literally stuffed uh balloons in the packaging um that gets sold at dollar tree um i've done license plates for the state of minnesota regardless if it was stamping it or if it was delayed the new plates the lasers um you know fish hooks you know moose lake does walmart returns um you then you have mencore which is has plenty of contracts uh with numerous uh corporations uh and all while nobody makes no more than two dollars an hour and the key companies. on that is mencore is a separate entity from the department of corrections okay so they actually separated out and one is is actually probably has a revenue stream where the department of corrections does not and it gets real weird when you get into this, some of that um because of the way that it's run minnesota isn't as terrible as some other states with that but it still is bad we don't have as much of the private prisons they tried that but they didn't fully kick off because it wasn't enough people right see and that's the one thing that they because I, I was actually in um, the one private prison that Minnesota did have. And I'll tell you, which it's still here. It's closed. I don't think nobody's using it. Uh, I know I thought the, I did believe that the DOC was going to buy it at one point. Um, but that never, that never happened. It's close to the, the uh, between the South Dakota and North Dakota border. But I'll tell you one thing about that that prison is that during the winter, ice would form up on the walls. I'm talking about it would be thick. You know how like when it gets cold out and the window get ice on it? That's the same way them walls would be. Literally, and then during the summer, them walls would sweat when it got hot. So, <laughs> and there's still, and you got paid. I'll tell you right now, it wasn't even worth it to work in that joint. Because you were only getting paid. The highest job you were getting paid was 75 cents an hour. 
Well, the purpose of the prisons is supposed to be for punishment for a crime. Okay. Now, it doesn't say inhumane punishment. It's supposed to be proportionate to the crime. And we're supposed to still treat people humanely. And the type of things that you can get put in prison for, if you have a DUI that, that ends up falling within the, that felony boundaries, you can go to prison for that. There's a lot of things you can go to prison for on a daily basis that you may accidentally commit a felony with how many laws that we have, you know? Um, so people need to look at that because that can really easily come back and bite people, you know? I, let's say you don't register your, your company properly or do your taxes properly and they, they catch you on something like that. You know what I mean? It could be an honest mistake. There's a whole bunch of different things that can get you put in prison for and we need to be treating people humanely still. That's what we believe in in America, supposedly. Obviously not in practice. Right. And so there's a statement that I want to I wanna take right here. And it's from Paul Schnell. Now, he testified that despite the low wages paid to inmates, and these work programs, they range from 25 cents to $1.50 an hour. Participating in them is completely voluntary. That's a fucking lie. There, I'm going to tell you right now that, and it's crazy that this is part of the problem because it's not voluntary. Because if you don't work, you don't get to come out of your cell. So it's either you work or you stay in your cell. What do you think people are going to do? I, that's not voluntary. They'll call that voluntary. That's not voluntary. Because you know what I'm saying? Because if you don't work, you don't come out of your cell. And people don't realize the markups at the commissary. The items get marked up quite a bit. Things cost a lot more um, for the inmates to be able to get. And that they used to for the phones that was a huge racket. It's just like they do on the military for the ships. It's you know what I mean? It it costs a lot right. to be able to make those calls. I think Minnesota finally changed that, the call portion, but I mean, yeah, they there, there is things like that, that people do need to realize that that whole system is set up to make revenue and it's not even about providing that service. It's I mean, they, rehabilitation they, anymore. yeah, if you want people to change in that, they need to be able to contact their family. You know, they need to be able to use a law library or whatever, you know, um, and again, making it humane as well. It's not supposed to be a, a four-star host hotel. It's not what we're saying. Right. We're saying like basic, not having mold grow out of the walls and safe drinking water type thing. That's it, you know? I'm, all I'm saying is give them, give back the programs, the education, so that they have the, the skills and the, 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 the capabilities to be able to succeed in society when they give out, because I know that's one thing that bugs the hell out of me. Uh, I originally went into the, the Minnesota Department of Corrections as an adult in 1998, in the summer of 98. And when I went, you were able to go out to the yard 24 hours. You could go out there two, three in the morning. That's how much you had movement in the medium facilities. They had barbecue grills uh you have full stove ovens the the commissary had i go get ribs uh a, a block of chicken go make some chicken wings you know what i'm saying but over the years things started to change they started to take away the college programs they started to take away um the education especially the education um they used to have studios where people could learn how to do music. They used to do so many different other opportunities. And now they don't have that. Now it's it's all about work. It's all about making them money. And I'm glad you brought up the point about Mencor because that's what they try to use. And I'm sure a lot of states do have that uh, with their corrections, with their <laughs> prison systems. Um, but to see how much money they actually make off of the inmate, and yet the inmate isn't even able to buy 
phone time when they were able to buy, you know, had to do that, are able to get the everyday necessities, soap, shampoo, and they can't and even the, feed them. The private prisons, the states that have those, the way that those run is they have a, a minimum quota of usually 80 to 90 percent. So if it, if it drops below that capacity, they actually get to charge a state a fine or a fee per bed per day that's not full. So they actually right. have a quota of people that they need to have in prison. And this, the services that you're talking about, people may be like, oh, that, that, that's overboard or whatever. Okay, if people want crime to change, you also have to change people. Okay, right. you. you you have to change people and give them something to look forward to, something other than what they've been doing, right? You can't expect them to change and have the same or worse treatment in prison, and then throw them back out without any life skills. It's skills like cooking, skills like you know what I mean, being able to do their own finances and whatever else. Those things are huge. And that is huge, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because, as somebody that has seen people get out and and see them go right back, uh, because of people don't understand of when you get out of prison, you know, and you go apply for a job, uh, you go, and it is getting easier. Now I'm saying that easier, not saying that it's easy, but it's gotten easier for people to get jobs and housing. But still, at the end of the day, when you get out of prison and you don't have those type of skills and all you've been, you're not going to succeed out here because out here is it's a cold ass world. And they don't care about you being on parole. They don't care about you being on probation. Right. Because when you got bills to pay. What are you going to do if you ain't got no job and your back's against the wall? You're going to go back to that life of crime. And that's, we gotta have better opportunities out here. And they don't have that right now. And that's a very big key on the probation and parole side of it is a lot of times a job or housing is a requirement, right? But like a, like what they did at Better Futures, uh, the Green River Landing is they had forced this, you know, they had, they had forced everybody out of there and then violated their probation because they forced them out of there. Well, you, you, you can't the force the change stuff. and then do that. You can't be like, oh, I'm kicking you out. By the way, now you don't have a place to live. I got you. You know, and if you have a job, let's say over in the next county, you have to get permission to drive over there um, for your job. And that's all you can do. And it, let's say they don't have that you can stop for gas or whatever on there. If you stop for gas, that's a technical violation. And they not all probation officers or parole officers do that, but enough of them do where it's almost like waiting for you to mess up on the smallest little thing. And then they toss you back in. And when they give those plea deals, they know that. Um, and they know that your full sentence can be put back on there for something as simple as uh, not reporting that you got stopped for failing to signal. You know what I mean? If you forget to report that it's something simple like that, any police contact, you can go back in. Right. No, and and I was just about to um god damn it, I was reading Matt's comment and uh I forgot what I was about to say. Damn. Um but yeah, it is all about business and and and, and at integrity at the end of the day because I'm gonna tell you right now of that's why you see that the county jails don't do contracts with the DLC anymore. So they have to have that, them, them beds filled. Because if they let, they can't go to the county anymore, right? So you see so many people coming out, being on probation, being on parole, or you see them given chance after chance after chance for a reason. And I'm gonna tell you, it's all about money. This shit is a, you're literally doing time on an installment plan. Because any, and I'm glad they changed a lot of the, the, you know, violation rules and, you know, things like that, because they were making it hard to be able to succeed out here. And they are making it a little bit easier, but it's crazy when people are writing legislation for convicts, right? And I'm going to say, call them convicts because I'm a convict, 
and a reform act convict at that but they're writing legislation talking about what the housing and 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 what jobs and things like that need to understand is that you guys are leaving out sometimes words or even understanding and, and and compassion when it comes to writing these things and seeing that we're human beings and if you if we're supposed to rehabilitate ourselves and we're supposed to be able to know better and do better then you guys have to be able to give that opportunity and i see a lot of people that write legislation or help write it aren't <laughs> i don't know if i want them type of people writing legislation for people that are supposed to be able to rehabilitate themselves when their words don't reek of rehabilitation Cause I see that a lot and, and it and it and it shocks the fuck out of me of how people can be talking about go vote for these people. And yet when you look at the type of wordage they use when it comes to their public safety bills or the type of laws and ordinances they want to do, and it's like, nigga, please. I'm gonna be 100, nigga, please. Cause <laughs> fuck that. I, I just don't, and I know I'm going on a little rant or whatever, but I'll tell you right now, I don't, this is the whole part that gets me because is voting red going to make it better? In Minnesota, fuck no. I'll be honest. No, I I, 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 could, I can't stand behind some of them people. But the Minnesota GOP is just as messed up as the DFL. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're no, they're in like if you go out to farm fest these guys are all in bed with the big farmers okay that's how they get the rural vote and the big farmers screw over the little farmers and it's i'm not even going there on that but it's that's how they get their vote out there you know what i mean and who are they who are they making these legislation for if you go back historically um <laughs> Most of the vagrancy crimes and drug type crimes and even alcohol prohibition was upper middle class to upper class rich white women that were making the legislation, especially in the early 1900s, um, because in Minnesota, with the urbanization, as we showed in the 70s, the same type of thing was happening earlier especially during the Great Depression, all the farm girls were coming up to the, the cities and hooking for a living. And they really didn't want their husbands having illegitimate children. And so that's where Shakopee Women's Prison got started was because they would send the ladies to the reformatory. And it was a reformatory before it was a prison. Um, but they purposely targeted those laws for certain people. The, the, rich, the rich people could still get their opium after they outlawed opium with a prescription. Same thing with alcohol. They could get it with a prescription and just pay off the doctor. So when they did those prohibition things, it was mainly for the the regular folk and stuff like that because they still had access and it was it was funny because if you look back through the uh the star trib it was the it was the rich white men from the north side of minneapolis uh that, that st anthony type area right that would come over get completely wasted to where the loggers had to kick them out literally and be like no you're causing too much of a problem go back you know what i mean and uh <laughs> that's where part of the vagrancy laws came in you know and it was more like for the for the rich white women to control their husbands who are idiots and then also to uh, have the vagrancy laws against the uh the poor people because those loggers also were sleeping out on the street and doing whatever because they were up here for work and not, they didn't have enough housing in that and that's then it turned into the grain mills and you go down the list but it's it's been like that for a very long time and people need to look at that because it's history you know and it was targeting the the lower class of of all races you know and then as more diversity happened up here they targeted those groups too well yeah and people just gotta understand history you know what i'm saying as well when it comes to that part because if you don't understand where you came from you don't you can't understand where you're going 
you can even bring it up to the 90s i mean not i'm not saying this in a bad way but how many of the the white suburban moms were popping zannies and their antidepressant pills and uh you know their volume right all the time yet then having this war on drugs well honey you're just as high as everybody else chica right no and then right and but that's the yeah i i didn't really want to go into the war on drugs but like the whole thing if even with that though of how it's until it goes out into the other communities they don't really give a fuck because i'll tell you right now you know i know that's why one thing they don't do give a fuck about fentanyl because it kills my community it kills the poor community that's why they don't give a fuck about that and when it does hit the rich area then people are sitting in jail on charges but it, when people od in our community they don't give a fuck why do you think overdoses are at an all-time high and they definitely ain't trying to fix that because if to fix that that means you got to fix the big pharma too because they're a part of it and they ain't never gonna sit there and check and correct themselves because y'all all seen these these shows that netflix and hulu y'all think they doing that shit for a reason hmm. it's called select programming pre-programming whatever the fuck it's called something like that it's in there telling us everything that these people have done to us and the measures that the government will take to cover it up oh definitely and you got to realize they're still running it you know what i mean they're still running the drugs the uh the opioids were legal as soon as as long as you could pay off a dock they were tossing them out left and right for the longest time what do you think that was about that was to get people hooked i mean half the people that i know that got into opioids uh illegally had had them like one of them uh, i was working at uh amazon up there in shakopee this this kid had had a back injury when he was in high school in wrestling and his back was real bad and when they said that oh no you're taking too many uh because he was still working in that you know and they said oh no you're taking too many they just cut him off and didn't even titrate it down and it was either go on disability at his age which he he, he was having problems getting a doctor to do or take drugs and be able to work you know right. it, it took him like six years to get clean but that's terrible to do to an 18 year old you know what i mean you're ruining their life and the sackler family does a little payoff to the government and and they're good you know that this whole thing is is on purpose right. and one of the one of the uh camps over in southern china that was making fentanyl was this the old cia warriors and they're like oh they're not working for us anymore yeah all right yeah i'm sure you know no but that i'm not even to be honest what's crazy is that what people don't even understand about even fentanyl is the fentanyl that's killing people ain't coming from china this shit is not coming from China. It's coming from Mexico. This shit is, and it probably is starts in China, but that shit coming through the border. All that, because the, the, it's crazy as hell. And I've said this before, and I've shown people that literally, these you can literally go buy a machine on Amazon, go buy the the components, the compounds to make these pills in your damn garage and you could make a, a 500 pills an hour with these what a $1,500 machine from pill machine pill pressing machine from Amazon that looks like Ritalin that looks like Zanny bars all you got to be able to know how to you do is use it when it's not like the government ever I don't know showed people how to make crack into rocks you know they didn't they didn't do that ever they would never never show people how to do this stuff and then go, try to go bust them later that would never happen right 
and that's how crack got here to that shit. They made they made sure it didn't hit the white community first. They wanted it. That's why there was a whole difference of I understood why white people, uppity white people, snorted, tooted, and then the poor people smoked. Because there was, even though they they had the same habit, if you snorted it, you were a different type of uh, uh, crackhead. But if, you know, you was a cokehead. But if you was a crackhead, <laughs> yeah, you was looked down on. But if you was a cokehead, it was all right because you only snorted it. But if you smoked it, yeah. Are you shot it up? Well, and there's background information people need to look at. Look at the depression and suicide rates. Oh, that's something that no one wants to look at. It's in direct correlation a lot of times to the crime and to the drugs. So what causes crime and what causes people to do drugs? I don't know. Maybe a shitty economy. Maybe people not being able to afford housing. Maybe having a shitty place to live and stuff like that. I mean, these are things that are not hard and they've been known for a long time. I have articles from the 60s where they were talking about it. So then why don't we fix that if in 60 years we're just sitting around patting each other on the back and jerking each other off underneath the table for votes and money? I mean, we could actually fix the issue, but nobody wants to because if it doesn't make dollars, as you say. Doesn't make sense. So I'm going to leave off with that today, leave y'all some shit to, to dwell on. Um, Cause it's it is gonna be uh, I'm gonna be watching for certain things, um, and I'm gonna be paying attention to, you know, certain things. I'm gonna be talking about this le next legislative session. I'm gonna be talking about uh, some of these bills that are gonna be, you know, starting. They are already they are already starting. Uh, they're not able to debate them yet. They're not able to really discuss too much about them, but. Um, I will be putting up a link of where you can watch uh, the bills that are going to be uh, in committees, bills that will be um, needing public testimony. There will be a lot of things, and I'll be learning this process just as much as y'all learning it. So um, I want to educate people so that we can come together and have a better society, have a better community. Um, anything you want to say before we get up out of here today, Robert? Yeah, they want to give us global citizens. Let's have a global resistance. Freedom and liberty and justice for all. So, win or fail, freedom or jail, heaven or hell, wish me well. Y'all have a great one. server.